Everywhere Jesus goes, many people expect him to set them free from oppression. Everywhere he goes, he heals people and sets them free. Disease, devils, and death are running for their lives. The forces that diminish human life are rendered powerless by Jesus. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. As soon as Jesus and the disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of our Lord. All right, just to get started. How many of you have ever kind of bristled or just plain wondered at Simon's mother-in-law, who has been sick in bed, getting raised to health by Jesus, and then she began to serve them? I know at least some of you have got to think it's a bit weird. And it's weird, it's a particularly weird thing for our 20th and 21st century brains to read, because even among those of you who may still harbor some very old-fashioned notions of what men and women are for, separate, different, and like not unequal, but not equal in the same ways, it's got to strike you as a bit odd, too. Well, the Greek word used for her service is diakoneo, or deacon in English, and it anticipates Jesus's commending of service to others, as in chapter 1045, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life like a ransom for many. Or in 1541, when Jesus is talking about the women who ministered to him, and there were many women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. And in the ELCA, we've got two two rosters, Word and Sacrament, that's all of us revs, the pastors, and Word and Service, which is our deacons. So deacon, serve. Anyway, also for those of you who might be wondering, Simon slash Peter's wife is never named or mentioned other than this reference to him having a mother-in-law, except as two of my biggest resources for sermon prep referred me to, uh, 1 Corinthians 9.5. Do we not have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas is the Syriac name for Peter. And the annotated Jewish New Testament says, wife, literally, sister, Greek, Adelphi, a member of the church. A sister wife would provide marital companionship, although Paul chose to remain celibate. 9, 12. And, well, as we've talked about recently, Paul had some issues, and that's a whole rabbit hole for another time. 
I'm a little more interested in Jesus waking up before everybody else and going off to be by himself. Though I'm more the stay up hours past everyone else for my alone time type. It's mornings, seriously. What was God thinking? Our Gospels frequently depict Jesus going off on his own to deserted places to pray. But not because he's an introvert, though maybe he was, or misanthropic, I mean maybe, but probably not. In part, this going off by himself gives a sense of Jesus remaining separate from those around him, as in Mark's opening verses, and again in the garden when he's praying to not have to go through what is about to happen. His solo morning prayer is a very Jewish thing, to, to ground and fortify oneself for the day, to intentionally be connecting with and in conversation with God. And I know some of you have similar routines, similar ways of grounding yourselves. For the rest of us, one of my all-time favorite TV moments shows the priest sitting by himself, the cameras close up on his face, the voiceover is him talking to God, asking about suffering in the world, how he, is he supposed to help, what's his purpose, what is anyone's purpose, that kind of thing. The questions we all ask at different times. And then the camera pans out and you see him reach for the toilet paper. We pray, we get our time with God in, in a variety of different places. And when Jesus is found this morning, he doesn't respond to the statement that he's being looked for, the implication being that more people are coming to the house for his healing. He just says, time to move on. I'm here to proclaim the message everywhere. The disciples frequently misunderstand Jesus's identity and mission. Though, to be fair, Jesus isn't usually very clear. He's kind of indirect. And in between all of this, and even in the lead up to this week's reading, Jesus is healing and performing exorcisms. People are coming to him in great numbers, crowding the house where he's staying. And he tells the demons that he exercises to remain silent about him. It's such an important line. And also, we seem to just kind of read past it. Not quite throw it away, but just, you know, it's there, whatever. And I kind of wonder, like, what happens to the demons when they leave a person? Like, do they just wander around until they take up residence in another person? And Jesus is afraid they're going to tell the next person about him? <sighs> I was just in Larry, and Jesus, the son of man, passed me out of him. So now I'm in you. And if you want to be rid of me and meet the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, go find Jesus of Nazareth. But first, let's do evil. Or are they cast are the cast out demons getting together for a convention and comparing notes on how to avoid getting exercised? Jesus says to keep silent about himself because he doesn't want the demons sharing info and like fighting back. I'm pretty sure those imaginings are just complete nonsense, but they're kind of fun, I think. But something important coming out of our discussion at Thursday night's worship is the idea that we all have our demons. And to a certain extent, that's absolutely true. We are haunted by the choices we make 
or fail to make. We carry around guilt and shame, and it weighs us down. It holds us back. In the TV series Lucifer, hell is different for each person. It is that moment that one can't take back, and it is relived over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until a different choice is made or they can forgive themselves and let go of the shame. But when we say things like, oh, his demons, they just finally won, when we're talking about someone's death by suicide, we are giving power to excuses and ignoring the very real dangers of mental illness. Because depression isn't just a feeling sad all the time. Bipolar isn't just not being able to control your moods and acting all crazy. These things kill, just like cancer, heart attacks, aneurysms. And even worse, the stigma we attach to mental illness can keep people from getting help. It can place blame or responsibility on the suffering, calls them weak, or says they're exaggerating. And it helps those things along. And we can talk about private and public demons, the things we, that possess us and hold us back from the Holy One, like our own shame and guilt, or all the isms and pho phobias that dehumanize our neighbors. But we are the accomplices of such demons when we don't resist those forces that turn us away from a God. In our reading today, Jesus heals, and people come to him from all over the place, for healing. Mark interprets these and other miracles as signs of the divine reign and as only a part of the story of transition from the old age to the new. We live still in that time of transition. The story is still being written. We know that in the new age, the things that possessed us have been cast out. All the racism, transphobia, hatred, and dehumanization of our neighbors, all the shame we feel inside ourselves, these are gone in the realized kingdom of God. We are part of the story being written, part of the story of transition from that old age to the new age, from fear and hatred to peace, justice, love, we write the story in our questions, in service, in prayer, time with God in deserted places, whatever they may be, in learning and doing better, and letting go of shame, hatred, and blame. Maybe Jesus is ordering the demons to be silent because they not only know who Jesus is, they know the story of the new age he is here to write with us. They know the message of hope and new life, of justice and peace, of the coming age of God's reign for which Jesus has become one of us in flesh and blood and bone. They know that will be the end of them. And here this morning, we know the story that has been written. We know the story's ending. And now we seek God to write what is left. Amen.